for aflcoaches.com.au and Shadforth Financial Group. This is a conversation with an AFL coach where we'll pick some of the leading footy brains in the land and have an in-depth chat covering their lives in and out of Aussie rules football. Welcome to a conversation with an AFL coach for the AFL Coaches Association. It's Greg Hutchison here. And it's a crack of the dawn down here on the sunny Gold Coast. And mind you, it is sunny this morning, which is beautiful. And we're very lucky to be joined by Gold Coast Suns senior coach, Stuart Jew. Morning, Stewie, and thanks for your time this morning. No worries, Hutchie. And it is a beautiful morning this morning, mate. Oh, very nice. Actually, a bit of frost on the grass, which is unusual. Yeah. Pulling out of the driveway, but no, sun's up. It's good. And I did learn that this is not too early for you. You're an early riser, I'm led to believe. Yeah, this is a bit of a late start, this one. <laughs> late start. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like getting up early. It's the sort of best part of the day. And yeah, so I mean, particularly in Queensland, it's it's very easy to get up early. Um, you know, some of the sun comes up, you know, sometimes just after four. Yeah. So it's good. Well, let's let everyone know that it's not four at the moment because <laughs> we're not that early. If we did it in but summer, it, we might be doing it at 4.30am. Yeah, walking along the beach, which would be very nice. Right, let's start with the early days as a junior player at Central Districts. Now, I know of one very, very famous person to come out of Central, out of Elizabeth. Yeah, Jimmy, old, Jimmy Barnes. Jimmy Barnes. <laughs> Jimmy Barnes. <laughs> Are you the next famous person to come out of Elizabeth? He is. Doc yeah. Neeson was Elizabeth as well. Really? Yeah. Actually, then he went to high school with my dad. Um, so, yeah. But we were... Well, dad grew up in Elizabeth. He was born in England, but um, they came out pretty early on. And then we, a lot of the time, were in Salisbury, which is sort of next suburb on. Um, well, I spent five years in Melbourne, actually, when I was younger, but... Five to nine played at Gisborne. Okay, the Gisborne yeah. rookies. That's where yeah. I started my footy for a year. Right. Okay. They probably got no idea about that. <laughs> well, they're going to know now. Yeah. yeah. So no. Nah. So that was with what happened. So your dad came over from England. Yep. Yep. And then oh, they literally, you know, they worked in sort of health services. I get, you know, with you know, uh, like psychiatric nurses, and then went to Melbourne to work at the Sunbury Training Centre. So oh, that's right. why we moved there for a few years. Mum was the same. Yeah. So, but yeah, Dad was always Central District is a big English population area. A lot was settled out there in the sixties. So um, then Central Districts was formed. You know, they're red, white, and blue, the Bulldogs. Yeah. So that's fitting. And Dad was a a massive Central supporter. So okay, that's why I end up there with a few. We were living in Port Magpie Zone for a bit, but my nana was in Central Zone, so we put yeah. my address down as her place. So, Dad was pretty adamant I was going to play for Central, so. Well, we probably, so you brought to the system from an early uh, age, Stewie. Yeah, I wouldn't say, <laughs> well, I was just a kid, so I didn't know anything about it. Um, but yeah, it's, I'm sure it's um, not the last time that's you know, been yeah, done. Yeah, and you played your first game of league footy in, in the Sanford 16, is that right? Yeah, I think I was 16... 16 or just 17 in 1996, I reckon it was, yeah. yeah. Really successful club out there. Um, what was it about that club? Any recollections of why they were so strong? Yeah, it hasn't always, it hadn't always been. So yeah. they, did, they sort of, I think it was 1964, I should have that right, but when they started, so they're young, a young club, but yeah. then... Had some finals disappointments, lost in 95, 96. So Alan Stewart was coaching 95 and 96. Um, he won't like me bringing that up, reminding. But um, 
Yeah, and then I think around 1999, you know, they recruited a guy named Danny Holm, who was from Tasmania, from a successful club there, and, and he was a skipper. He became skipper, and I think he really he drove the club to get the right characters in, and not to say there there wasn't before, because, you know, some of the guys I looked up to, you know, guys like Roger Gurdon was the captain when I was there, and he was a fantastic protector. I remember my first league game, I... I got belted from behind. Um, and then next minute, that guy was on the deck next to me because our captain saw it and Rog, Rog sort of squared up. So I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty safe out here. You can't do that anymore. In no, footy, can you? no. But, yeah, it was a good... It was a great footy club. Um, I love the place growing up there. You know, I think you go from a young lad behind the goals trying to mark the ball from... You know, Robert Hanley played there, John Platten... Um, Guy named Rudy Mandemaker was our big full forward. Spent a bit of time in Melbourne, and yeah, and then next minute you're you're playing. So yeah, it all happens pretty quick. Mm, yeah, it's exciting times. Um, and, and those guys that you mentioned, um, they're obviously influences in your playing career. And um, what what did they? How did they influence you? Is there anything you can remember from them? Oh, I think they're just. I've all been lucky enough to be around people that were real club people. Um, I don't remember. And maybe I didn't, you know, the, the, these people don't resonate with me, but I think guys at Centrals were, were real club people, um, unselfish. I rarely remember selfish people throughout Central District's footy club. Um, and I guess that's that was a testament to the leaders and then and obviously the both on and off the field around what they wanted to build the footy club around. I think that was the, from 2000 to, I think it was 2011, they played in 11 straight grand finals and... You know, continually recruited, um, I guess, not the best player just to come out of the AFL, but they might have been, you know, strong club people that were, you know, wouldn't just come in and play and then get their paycheck. They actually invested in the club and, and gave themselves to the club. So, obviously, I think James and Chris Gowans are high-profile ones that played in the, you know, the nine flags. You know, unbelievable. It's so, extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and for a club to go from none to nine in sort of 10, 10 11 years. yeah. And we'll get to the, the influences and how they've helped you throughout your, your coaching career, but it seems like the club and the people from what you learnt way back then is now really strong with what, what you're doing coaching-wise. Yeah, and, I, and then I guess along, that was from a, young, from a young position, but then you know even from a playing position, different times, you know, guys came in and, and they might have had self-interest and they go okay, but eventually they don't contribute to team success and... I think they get sort of found out and the weight of numbers around, you know, the unselfish, the way that we go about it for the team is probably the thing that resonates with me. And then, you know, I saw that at Port and Hawthorne and, and Sydney. So I think that's, you know, you, you can't underestimate just getting good people in with, with good capability, but got people that contribute to the team and not just the players. I think particularly nowadays, it's such a big business, people that contribute to the the actual flow of the workplace um, and how much they energy they put in. The playing days at Port, um, first played in 97, so you got drafted at the end of 96, is that right? Yeah, yeah. so I was the, the first intake, so Port could sort of take, I think that year their concessions were anyone from South Australia over the age of 18 and then one 17-year-old from Australia, so I was the youngest. Um, and then they obviously built their list strongly around Heavy South Australian influence, but then added some guys that had 
been gone and then came back. Yeah. Guys like Gavin Wanganeen and um, a few other guys came in, but yeah, it was had a heavy South Australian influence early. So your national championships when you were drafted, did you did you stand out in the champs? Because did you play as a small small forward or medium forward in the no, national championships or mid? More a wingman. Wingman. Yeah. yeah, I played the year before. The year it went from seventeens to eighteen, so. I played as a bottom major in the 17s. We played in Albury with Donga. Um, I do remember that. And we actually, it was, it was the coldest day of my life in Lamington. We played mm. Vic Metro, and they had guys like um, Brent Harvey and Wapunda, mm. Lance Whitnell. They had a really strong team. We probably didn't have as big a name team, um, but we ended up winning with a guy named Paul Evans, kicked eight on a mm. wet day from full forward. So his stocks went up after that. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, he had a, a lot of injuries, so didn't play a lot of AFL footy. But it was, um, you know, back then, that was that was cold days there. Yeah, you yeah, know. it can get cold up there. So two years of um, stayed under 18s. Yeah, yeah well, one seventeen, then 18. Yeah, and then what would have been my top age year, I didn't play because I was on a list. Yeah, yeah. So I think we, the next year was I played on actually people joke about it, or our recruiters remember I played on Heath Black and. Uh, there's a few recruiters have reminded me, no, well, you didn't really play on each other. You just <laughs> ran up and down the wing and did your own thing. But, um, yeah, it was, good, it was good times. Yeah. And, okay, so first played at 97 in their first season, and that must have been so exciting, but also really weird, I would have thought, as well, yeah. in some respects. Yeah. I, I think back now, and that whole year leading into, I don't think I understood the concept of the transition from playing, say, and because I was playing league football, um, and that happened fairly quickly. Um, I, di- I don't think I understood the magnitude of then the next step, and all of a sudden you're living in that world, like you're training with guys like Gavin Wanganeen and, and Matthew Primus, and guys you've been watching, it was just surreal. And then played my first game at Subiaco against the Eagles, and, you know, Woosher and Guy McKenna running past you, and you're like, what am I, how am I ever going to get a kick? I think I came on like 10 minutes ago in the third quarter. So it was back when you were near a bench, you were bench yeah. until someone else had had enough. Yeah, what an amazing experience. Oh, yeah, the game was done by the time I came on. <laughs> I came on, I got one kick, two handles. Mum and Dad went over, it was pouring rain, and they got they got the flu because something happened with their seats, they had no seats. It was back when there was grass on the hill. Yeah. And they just stood out in the rain for two hours to watch me get one kick. <laughs> So dad's like, yeah, that, that was a good weekend. Yeah. Oh, that's what parents do, mate. They go in here with support. Yeah. So Jack Cale is your first coach. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Jack. Interesting character. I'm led to believe. A hugely successful coach. Really yeah, he, successful. He in was. The, in the Sandful. Yeah. Yeah. My memories are probably not as uh, memorable as a lot of people with Jack because um, in one of my early games, I, I made a bit of a bad blue on a kick in up in Brizzy and we were up by four goals without four minutes to go and... I happened to be on the end of the last kick in and kicked it to Sean Hart, who actually <laughs> works here, and, and caused a draw. It was back when the, the coaches' box were on top of the cricketers' club. And the gabber. Yeah, and I think Jack yeah. come down when we were 13 points up with you know, a minute and a half, thinking I've got a win. And by the time he got down the back and out to the race, Sean Hart was kicking the goal to, to cause a draw. Um, well, at least you didn't see you kick it in. Well, someone told him, oh, which was. That's not good. What's going <laughs> I think, on there? I think he's he, probably a little bit more colourfully, but said, "What happened?" Yeah. And then someone just mentioned my name, so that was it. <clears throat> that, that was, was it. Ten, that was ten minutes of. 
I think I was, I was probably 17, maybe 18, and uh, yeah, that was that was the best I ever got. Was it? Yeah. And I was sitting there thinking, you didn't even see it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, was, it. It was a long walk from up on top of the, the gabba. You got down all through it, so he wouldn't have seen it, but he, someone's no, he giving you up, mate. Oh, yeah, someone threw me under the bus. Yeah. yeah. But that's fair enough. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that was... My main memory of, of John, John Gale. The Mark Williams was the assistant coach there at the time, so he um, had a big influence on a lot of us young boys. Who in our first year we we actually did like a traineeship at the club. So I think we we're meant to do a little bit more admin, but Choco had us. <laughs> you know, we train back then. Like you train, you do weights at like five in the morning, and then guys would go off to work. Yeah. Whereas we'd actually just a couple of hours and then we'd be out for another hour of ball handling and then we'd have lunch and we'd come back to a circuit and then the, everyone would come back in the Arvo and train. So we were sort of full-time footballers from, there was Warren Treadrow was in that, um, Tom Harley, Rhett Biglands and Nathan Eagleton. So we had a, a good little crew that we um, spent that first year together. Yeah. yeah. Well, Stewie, we might... Uh have a little break here for a minute so as we can catch our breath and uh, we'll come back after this sponsor's break and have another chat about uh, Choco and the finals and Port Adelaide. When you injure yourself, you make an appointment to see a team of doctors, physios and specialists. But why don't we talk to the professionals when it comes to financial advice? A good advisor will help you budget, sort out your super and protect your greatest asset, your ability to earn money. So if you're worrying that it's too late and haven't got things sorted, it's okay. Acting now can make a huge difference and help you reach your financial goals faster. This is where Shadforth Financial Group can help. The AFL Coaches Association has worked with Shadforth since 2015. We think of them as our financial coach. Shadforth is available now for a free discussion about your financial goals. Head to sfg.com.au forward slash AFLCA for more. Hello, welcome back. Uh, Stuart, let's have a chat about the Mark Williams era at, uh, at Port Adelaide and opportunities to eventually play in a grand final. Um, made the five, top of the ladder 02 and 03. Took a bit of work to get there though and then walk us through what happened and you know it's the, the impact of what Choco made on the footy club and, and even you as a, as a person and as a player and then ultimately as a coach. Yeah, we, we had a great, they built a great team I guess from the start and Made finals in 99, got knocked out first round, but that was quite early. I don't think anyone would have expected that, given, I think it was our third year. And then 2001, we had a, a great year, and I think we are up by 17 points in a home semi against Hawthorne and, um, at, at three-quarter time. We lost that game. I, I know everyone talks about sort of 02, 03, but what you think 01 was... You know, your first crack at yeah. legitimate finals, um, home final, up by that. You know, if we'd got through there, what might have happened? But mm. everyone's got stories, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, they have. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, no, you know, that's no, the no, one no. That, that stung. And then, you know, we were yeah. going to keep the group together. And we probably just had the right demographic of experience and youth. And, um, you know, we were really even across the ground. So, 02 and 03, it was good times because mm. we won. You know, you'd win four out of five weeks. So it was quite a, it became a habit, um, but we just, the pressure, we lost a couple of home finals, you know, where we're expected to win, teams were a little bit undermanned, and we didn't play together on the day, and I think everyone probably 
was maybe forecasting ahead a few weeks and thinking about grand finals and premierships well before we even earned the right to get there. So we learnt harsh lessons. Yeah. I'd imagine Adelaide, the, the spotlight would have been well and truly on externally in media and a lot of pressure would have been on the whole group and ultimately the club and the, the, the players in the end. Yeah. And I think that that 0-1 final probably sparked it because we were expected to win that. You're up by that at three-quarter time. you just got to close the game out. So then when you get into a final the next year, um, I think it was an undermanned Collingwood, You expect the, the expectation across the week just builds and you can feel it because, yeah, you know, there's sort of two teams in Adelaide and then there's a bit of a comp that goes on somewhere else. <laughs> so, yeah, and that was prior to the days of, like, such saturation in the... Media as well, so I can only imagine what it's like now. Um, yeah. But yeah, there, there was those years where we just we didn't get over the line. We we lost the first final when we were, you know, one of the better teams, and then we we're able to we ran into Essendon twice and knocked them over, but then lost two prelims. Yeah. Um, you know, they, I guess in '04 it was our, that was our last crack. Otherwise, yeah. the whole yeah, everyone's life would be different. Close. Yeah, well, it would be <laughs> not yeah. in terms of saying we won a prelim, but even just in terms of. For what we had in that yeah. time, we should have achieved um, definitely what we got. One, one, and not to be greedy, but we had the ability to to have challenged harder than what we did, given our history. But that's the that's the whole challenge, isn't it? Getting together at the right time of year, um, and we faced some adversity in '04. We lost our best ruckman and on ball and mm-hmm. Primus and Franco. So yeah. I think that probably culmination of the failures and then I think everyone knew it was our, our last chance. Mm-hmm. So, And, and obviously um, stopping the lines from the, the four-peat um, yeah. and the chairman at the time, was it Alan Scott, made those remarks about Choco throughout oh, the course yeah, of the he year. Was, he, he was out. weighing in from outside and so the, coming off the making, being top, in two and three, and then not really being recognised as a genuine chance in four. Is that fair? Yeah, well, yeah. well, they probably thought that we'd had our chance. Yeah. And Alan was our major sponsor. That's right, yeah, not your chance. And now so. being in this role, I can only imagine what it would be like at the start of a year <clears throat> when you, you know, you're winning 16 games a year yeah. and someone comes out and, and says, oh, you know, you'll never win with you, you in charge. Like, you can... I can only imagine it now. We, as players, we laughed about it. Mm. I can understand why Choco was, you know, that would have been hanging over his head just to, yeah. you know, like the cartoons when the cloud just follows you. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been him for yeah. the last year. Now yeah. that, um, yeah. now I think about it. But yeah, as players, it was, we, yeah, it's yeah, it you're was, a bit um, immune to it, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, but Ch- Choco certainly wasn't immune to it, was he? Nah, no, nah. no. Nah. And fair enough, I think. You know, I think. Teams that show they they can stick through whether good or bad and the stability um, and back themselves to to get there in the end. So I think that's probably why he, he made those comments yeah. on the day. Um, and people probably say, well, was that the time? Well, he's just being himself, and he w- he would have worn yeah. that all year. Yeah, you know. So I think you can give him a bit of a I don't know if Mulligan's a word, but you know that's when that when someone's publicly question you like that I think he he's the face of the club so mm. he would have had that sitting over him all year yeah. and they're so hard to win yeah so, you need just so you, many moons have yeah, to align yeah. like it's not it's not luck but you've got to get to a certain position 
at yeah. the right time of year with the right people in the right nick. You know, even Brisbane that year, people have talked about 03, they were banged up, they were able to win. Mm. And I'll say they're 04 and they were banged up and mm. didn't win. You know, we were not as banged up, but I know we, we had guys like Brendan Laid that couldn't move early in the week and got up to play. So every team's got stories. It's just mm. how how it all unfolds on yeah, the day. That's yeah. the that's the beauty of it, isn't it? You can have someone go the whole year yeah. and get rolled on the day. Yeah. That's yeah, exactly. otherwise, otherwise we might as well not bother. Yeah. Um retired in two thousand and six. Yep. Just couldn't keep going, the body or had I, enough mentally. I'd had it? um I'd had a bit of OP sort of ongoing for sort of three or four years. Okay. And I back then it was sort of you didn't speak up too much about injuries it was like you either were really injured or you played so i think on reflection i just i was really probably struggling to find out okay how can i actually get up again to keep going and and i'd been there 10 years so i'd almost gone for i guess change of scenery after 04 so i spoke a little bit to collingwood actually um but then we won so during 04 i think it was probably I was feeling like I needed a change, and Port probably thinking the same, you know. Um, but then we, when you win, you immediately think, gee, we could win again. Um, so in hindsight, probably might have been a, not a bad time to to change, and but I, but I didn't. And then, you know, I think it just, just became, um, I think we just became stale with each other. And then I... I I probably had this fantasy of being a one club player um, and at some point going back to, to Centrals because I was I loved playing there and I thought, well, if I'm not playing at Port and I need a change, well, I might just sit out and, and just go and play a few years at Centrals. So but thinking about it now, you know, with the support and guidance that you have, you'd be able to work through that far better. But at the time, you sort of, I think I was 27, you're sort of working through it by yourself um, and you might not be thinking all that rationally yeah. and you might just someone to throw different ideas. I, I didn't engage anyone really in that decision. Okay. Um, and so, but it worked, it worked yeah. out okay. But yeah. I ended up working for the club that year, which was which okay. was interesting. And oh, that's, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to ask, what, what did you do? What, yeah. did, what did it look like? And yeah, so a year so off and I did some media stuff um, with ABC, and but then did some corporate work with with Port for the whole year, which was which was great. I was, you know, over the summer I went away with my dad. He'd just lost his mum, so we we went on a bit of a holiday, which is, you know, something I wouldn't have been able to do. Um, and then, um, yeah, came back and worked corporately. You know, we did like whether it was match day or golf trips, fishing trip to, you know, Exmouth in WA. So it was it's hard it was a good gig, but you it's not it's not gonna last. Not sustainable. So sort of halfway through the year I was thinking, this has been good, but um I I wanna get back playing footy. Um, you know, you sort of you you realise you love the game and, and and the camaraderie around the team. So that's oh. when I was oh, probably started thinking about playing yeah. going well, let's just hold that for a minute yeah we'll, we'll have a little break then we'll come back and talk about the hawks era when you injure yourself you make an appointment to see a team of doctors physios and specialists but why don't we talk to the professionals when it comes to financial advice 
A good advisor will help you budget, sort out your super and protect your greatest asset, your ability to earn money. So if you're worrying that it's too late and haven't got things sorted, it's okay. Acting now can make a huge difference and help you reach your financial goals faster. This is where Shadforth Financial Group can help. The AFL Coaches Association has worked with Shadforth since 2015. We think of them as our financial coach. Shadforth is available now for a free discussion about your financial goals. Head to sfg.com.au forward slash AFLCA for more. Well, welcome back to the conversation with an AFL coach. I've got uh, Stuart Jew here and we've been having a really terrific chat and I'm going to talk now about how he ended up at, at Hawthorne after the uh, break at Port in 2007. And you mentioned briefly you did the corporate gig at Port, Stewie, and, and then you got the, the love for footy again. And who from Hawthorne decided to talk to you to nominate for the, for the draft? Because I'm sure that you just wouldn't have had a, the top of your head said, I think I'll just nominate again and hope I get picked up by someone, or did you? No, I was more... I think Clarko made the first call in from memory and was like... What are you doing? And then I must have said to him, you know, I'll play at Centrals for the year. Go back there and he sort of just quick chat. And then a guy named Jeff Morris, who was probably the most influence on me at Port because he was a development coach at Port. And Jeff sort of rang me and said, oh, would you think about playing AFL again? Um, and I said, well, you know, I wouldn't go back to Port. I've sort of done my time there. And um, he said, no, no, what about Hawthorne? And there was a few things, obviously, he was there. Um, Andrew Russell was there, who was at Port, and obviously Clarko, who I got along really well with from his time at Port Adelaide. Yeah, now, what did Clarko, one year or two years at Port? What happened there? One, yeah. One. So he yeah. had three years at Centrals, Centrals, and then one year at Hawthorne, uh, sorry, Port, and then he got the job. Yeah. Um, so, and I barracked for Hawthorne as a young lad because of the, like, John Platten connection. Yeah. Um, so... There's a few things that sort of pricked my interest and um, in the end, I, I actually thought, well, if I'm going to play, um, I'll have a crack at this, but obviously needed needed a fair bit of work um, to get back in the system. It was good for me to get out of Adelaide. I think I grew up, you know, sort of started my, my journey in Adelaide as a 17-year-old, finished at 27, but I think I was always, because our group sort of went through together, I always probably felt like the youngest and probably half behaved like it as well. So it was good for me to actually get out of my comfort zone. Um, and once I moved, that that was when I thought, you know, it would have been, in hindsight, it would have been a good move to to, to get out, but it's um, it worked out well, mm. obviously. So pick 45. Yeah. I take you. Um, that's at the end of two, 2007. Yeah, two thousand and seven draft. Yeah. So then, leading into the two thousand and eight season, um, so you, were you in reasonable shape, or did it take much work for Jack Russell to get you into shape? Or no, no, it's fair to say, Hutchie, I wasn't thinking about AFL and and playing at the highest level. I was actually working for Port on the day of the draft because Clarko, I, I didn't want to nominate and not get picked. So he said, "Look, I'll get it done." I know the list manager Chris Pelkin was thinking youth. Um, and maybe Clarko had him in a headlock draft night, I've heard. Um, that would like Clarko. Well, it? he rang me the night before. He said, look, I'll get it done. I remember walking into AFL headquarters like 10 minutes before the nominations closed. So I thought, I just want the least attention yeah. as possible. Um, because I think 
I was so far off the pace, I thought, I just want to get in and go about my business. But, of course, that didn't happen. Um, there was a fair bit of attention around it. Um, but, yeah, Jeff was one, and Andrew, but Jeff was one. We, you know, we did a mountain of work, literally. You know, we'd yeah. train and out at Waverley with the team. And then in the middle part of the day, we'd go, you know, 1,000 steps. Oh, yeah. um, there's not a 1,000 steps out there, by the way. <laughs> it's about, eight, about 829 <laughs> or something. So it's a bit of a... Furfy, but anyway, we'd, we'd do that sort of three or four times um, and then go back and do more. And So that summer was pretty big. Um, but, you know, I think I was able to get to a position where I was able to play again um, and, and I you know, hopefully add something to the team and club. Yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, Grand Final Day 2008. <clears throat> and a lot's been made of your brilliant third quarter and would you kick two two goals yourself and had a hand in a few others. And so the recollection is that there was some genius masterstroke made by the coach in the coach's box during <laughs> that period of time and decided to put you forward. Tell us the true story. What really uh, happened? Yeah. Oh, well, what? just before, I think, you know, it was a, probably just before time on, I think, I was playing on guys like Stevie J and, and Chapman and those guys. Um and I went to turn, and I something sort of you know clicked in my knee, and I, I was struggling to turn one way. I was a bit, what's that Zoolander movie where you can only turn? <laughs> yeah. I was struggling to turn one way, and I'm thinking, the, the, you know, particularly Stevie's. I thought this is not someone where I want to be on grand final day, yeah. where I can't if I turn like a Mack truck and he kicks a goal, it's going to kill us. So it was a passage of play and I'm thinking, well, we're on here. And I'm thinking, well, I'll, I'll follow the passage of play down and I'll get someone from the forward line and, and just tell them to go down back. <laughs> I was just looking for the next best because I'm thinking, I've actually got to, I don't want to cost the team here. Um, and that that was how it unfolded. So the, yeah. as I was heading down, I think Croft passed me one and we got a goal with Cyril. And then I think from there, because um, obviously I played a fair bit of forward, um, but at Hawthorne I played half back because Clark yeah. liked the kicking guys at half back. So I think when I ended up there and we got that goal, that's when the runner come out and said, "Oh, you know, play forward." I said, "Yeah, I know. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm doing." But I sort of, so I sort of said, I, I sent the message back saying, "Look, I've I've done this," um, and we were already down with Crody and um, Clinton Young off the ground. So yeah. that's in the end, it was Brent Guerra and I were flipping from forward to back. Um, so I, I'm not sure what I did to my knee, but it just it sort of locked a little bit. Um, but then. Once you're around goals, it's funny how your yeah. knee comes good. Yeah. <laughs> so you had that tactical master stroke yourself. So that's why so, to... Well, they left me there. So yeah. I sort of I threw it up. I said, well, what about because they couldn't because I I think Andrew I can't remember Andrew Russell might have come out and he said, well, you can't come off because we we haven't got enough on the bench. Mm. I said, well, okay, well <laughs> let's just and then at three quarter time that's when we come up with a plan to just flip um, Gooey and I back and forward. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a sensational day for the for the club and, and yourself personally, and and, and for for Alistair to be able to get the premiership in what his third year. Yeah, so yeah. he's in 05, oh, 05, yeah, six, seven, eight, fourth yeah. year. Yeah, yeah, a terrific effort, and it was a it was a big day, and, and no doubt the uh, the celebrations would have been long and strong. Yeah, I mean it was. Um, oh, it, I guess it, it comes down to. I guess, the reason Alistair got me there was what he, he thought his team was on the cusp of sort of playing regular finals and his theory was, well, 
you know, he wanted someone that had lived it. And then that way, when it gets to finals, when that person's speaking, everyone can't dispute it, I guess. So I think he probably used me to get a lot of the, his messaging through from a playing point of view. So in that sense, I was happy to, you know, I guess do whatever he, he needed um, and just sort of talk about the week, what finals look like. You know, when you fin- when your first final, you know, the naturally a young lads start looking forward and it's like, no, we've got another prelim to get through first. Then we can look forward. But we were, he really sold the message of that we've just got to get the grand final day. Again, he, you know, we knew Geelong were going to get there. They were such a powerhouse. He's like, if we get there, boys, we can, we can get them, but let's just lock in on this stuff first. So he sold that belief from sort of around 17, 18, Geelong beat us. And he said, well, Geelong didn't beat us. We beat ourselves. So he's like, between now and grand final day, we've got to do whatever we can to get there and we'll knock them off. So, you know, he was so certain about that. Mm. I think that went through the whole the whole place. Mm. Yeah. But it yeah. was it was um, it was good. And I probably learnt things from after Port to Hawthorne and I guess um, try to, from a player point of view, talk about what, what's good when you win one and stick together. And I found at Port, we had a couple of days together, but then everyone sort of got pulled in every direction. So... Um, we stuck together, literally didn't really go in public until sort of Thursday. So that was, you know, we had a fan day, but then everything, the players and club just stuck together. And it was it was nice yeah. to be able to actually sit and watch it. Yeah, yeah. I'd imagine, yeah. You beat the Saints in the prelim in 2008? Yeah, yeah. it was Robert Harvey's last game, yeah. actually. So yeah. it was quite a, it's a pretty good moment in that Crawford and Harvey, you knew mm. one of them was going to, get a shot Robert obviously get another shot at um, trying to win one and, and Croft had mm. been going for so long and his knees were shot and I guess I'd only been there a small time but to see the work he did to get up for that back half of the year was pretty impressive yeah bit of, yeah. I was involved in that game in 2008 wasn't a great day for the Saints let me tell you <laughs> um, so Crawford really a, a terrific person around the footy club and really revered What what was it about him that you know, stands him out from others? Well, I mean, I lived with Crawford actually, for the first three months. So I guess, you know, I found he had his partner, Olivia, and um, first child, so Charlie. And then I guess I found the fact that he'd opened up his house to yeah. a 28-year-old from Port Adelaide <laughs> who's just come in, you know. Everyone's saying I shouldn't have got drafted, but he put me up. You know, so I guess from that point of view, it was really welcoming to have, I guess, the most experienced club legend open up his doors for me. And then I think he just he just had an energy about him and enthusiasm. He was childlike's not the word, but he just he just gave off energy for the rest of the group. But then he, when it was time to work, and I remember one day we were both in the rehab group by ourselves, and I mean, you know they got these bikes at Waverley, and there was a steam room. So normally his session goes steam. Crawford goes, let's do a bike session in the steam room. So I'm thinking, yeah, well, that sounds okay. But I nearly died in there because it was, you know, it goes up to 50-odd degrees and we're just doing this bike session and I'm feeling faint. I'm looking at Crawford. He, he's still going. I'm thinking, well, I can't stop. I can't, I can't quit in front of him. And, you know, by the end of that, I was dizzy for about it four hours like I just after that it was just terrific and I'm thinking he, he's mad you know like I and, and I guess that's the lengths that he went to but 
some of the some of the best are half mad in their preparation. So that was a. Well, he's ahead of his time, Croft, isn't it? Because that's all the rage now, isn't it? Exercising heat and steam yeah. and altitude. Oh, and all it all changes, of... doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it changes everything. It's like, yeah, yeah. hot and uh, ice yeah. bars. Good, no good. Um, it's all in the head. Yeah, well, I suppose it is probably. <laughs> Placebo. <I think>. But <laughs> you do feel a bit better. Yeah. Uh, uh, retired at the end of 2009. Yeah. 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 Uh, what did 2009 look like? Too hard? Oh, I hard. started. I started and um, <clears throat> I played the first, I thought, maybe 11 games. And um, then in the bye weekend, um, we were doing a session, and I, I did my hamstring, and then got to, you know, three weeks later, did it again, and I was, I was, went down, is it Williamstown Oval, isn't it down yeah. by the, Jelly Brand Oval? Yeah, it's it a bit windy down there. It was very windy this day, Hutchie, and I was coming back, and in my head I'm thinking, I just, I'm taking the spot of someone on the list at that point, um. And I was warming up, and I was feeling good. <laughs> warming up, and I just felt my string go just a little bit on my right leg, and I'm and I think it was like round I don't know eighteen. I'm like this is actually embarrassing. I've just done my hamstring in the warm up, and I didn't I didn't want to tell anyone because I'm thinking one if I pull out we haven't got a spare. Um, I've done my hamstring again. I just I didn't want to I didn't want to tell anyone I'd done it in the warm up to be honest. It was just embarrassing. So I started the game. And I was, you could, you know, it was one of those ones you could, if you're warm, you could go. I was kicking on my left and I ended up, kicked a couple of goals. And then at half time, I, I thought, okay, now I can actually say something's happened. So, <laughs> so no one, no one could tell. So maybe that says something about the way I was getting yeah. around at that point. But I remember half time, I just, I, um, Bolts was coach actually. Okay. And I said to Bolts, I said, mate, I, I can't go back out. I said, I'm, I've done my hamstring again. And he was like, all right. I remember they they went out for the third quarter. And I sat in the change rooms for a bit, and I thought, nah, I think we're done. That's it. <laughs> I can't remember. Might have been Fags walking, and <clears throat> you know he could he could tell. I was like, oh, I think I'm done. Well, not I tried to get back for the last game against Essendon when they need to make the finals, but um, no, nah, yeah, didn't make done, it. Done. Didn't make it. Not a bad place not to go back out after half time. Jelly Brand Oval it can get a bit windy and cold out there, mate. So I understand what you're bit. doing. It. Yeah. If we weren't going with the wind in the first quarter, I might have spoken <laughs> <Yeah>. up. <laughs> right, let's have another break, Stewie, and cross to our sponsors, and we'll get back and we'll talk about the coaching start at the Swans and how that all came about. When you injure yourself, you make an appointment to see a team of doctors, physios, and specialists. But why don't we talk to the professionals when it comes to financial advice? A good advisor will help you budget, sort out your super and protect your greatest asset, your ability to earn money. So if you're worrying that it's too late and haven't got things sorted, it's okay. Acting now can make a huge difference and help you reach your financial goals faster. This is where Shadforth Financial Group can help. The AFL Coaches Association has worked with Shadforth since 2015. We think of them as our financial coach. Shadforth is available now for a free discussion about your financial goals. Head to sfg.com.au forward slash AFLCA for more. Right, welcome back everyone. Stewie, uh, we've, we've done with the playing. Let's talk about the, the coaching, how you got to the Swans and, you know, how you developed your philosophy and your beliefs and what you stand for and why, why coaching? I think the role and responsibility Clarko gave me at Hawthorne um, probably pricked my um, coaching juices, competitive juices around what's next for me and 
um, I guess the influence you can have if people um, see people in certain light, how much influence they can have if they do it in the right way. So in, towards, a, I think it was mid-2009 when it was clear that I was, I was finished as a player, I rang a man named Peter Jonas, who was my coach at Centrals, and just sort of talked through, because I knew he you know, he was obviously good history in coaching and had been in the AFL system and, and had lots of contacts. And I said, well, what's your thoughts on where I should start and what should I be looking at? And he actually just threw threw it out there and said, well, you know, why don't you give Bruzy a call? Um, he said, they're always, um, you know, he'd be willing to listen and and, and, and at worst have a coffee with Paul Ruse. And I'm thinking, well, that, that'd be great. Pretty daunting. Um, you know, so to, to cold call him, I'm, you know, I think I left a message and I thought, well, I've done that. You know, your heart rate, yeah. heart rate's going. Um, cause I'm thinking, you know, here's Paul Ruse and I'm ringing him. And then, you know, he said, well, come for a coffee. So I actually flew up for a day and had a coffee at his house and, and we had a chat about just footy and, and in the end he sort of said, look, we don't know what our system, coaching group looks like next year, but there may be a bit of movement. So we'll just stay in touch. And in the end, um, you know, Dean Moore called me through October mm-hmm. and said, yeah, we've got a position as a development coach. Um, and all they could guarantee was sort of a one-year deal. Um, and it was, you know, wasn't, I didn't make the decision based on money. I, and then to be honest, like I wasn't like that as a player either. It was like, it was like, yeah, if you got a year, give me a year, and I'll, and that what will be will be. I'll look, you know, the rest will look after itself. Mm. And then that was it. That was it. Straight into it. Yeah. Okay. So Rusey, how many years under Rusey? One. One year under Rusey. Yeah. And then uh, the rest of the time with Horse. Yeah. So had you already had in your head some philosophy about your coaching and what what you were, how you're going to frame that, or did that come yeah. along the journey? Things sort of came along. All I had in my head was, I guess, in my head, from a playing sense, what um, influence coaches had on me and how. And then, so I go back to sort of, everyone's got different things, but Choco was big on the the disciplines of the game and the repetitive nature of skill development. Mm-hmm. Um, and that talked to me a lot because, you know, I was more a footballer than an athlete. So to me, <laughs> repetitive skill development was that's what I loved doing as a kid, um, which you don't realise at the time. But And then Jeff was probably the first coach to actually take a bit of interest in me outside of the footy um, and show that sort of side. So, you know, you take that. And then Clarko was the... He had the fierce loyalty and he had a way that he would sort of make you feel like he was doing you a favour and protecting you from others. And, you know, that... You know that sort of loyalty, but the right amount of um, challenge as well. Like he'd he'd hit you between the eyes when you when you needed it, um, and sometimes when you didn't. But just to get a, he sort of knew when to when to do it when you needed that. So I only really, when you start coaching and looking at players going around, then you start reflecting on what happened to you, and you draw some parallels to how you, I guess, get the best out of players. Mm. You had some terrific mentors, Williams, Ruse, Longmire, and Clarkson, and added to the and Jeff Morris you mentioned, mm. and added to the the club and people thing that you got from the yeah. Central Districts days. It it set you up 
into a, a, a pretty good space, really. And you're only young, really, when you first got that job at the, the Swans. Yeah, I would have been what... 29, 30. Yeah. And, and even back to, you know, Stevie Wright was a coach for a period there at, yeah. at um, Centrals. You know, and he, he played me at centre-half back as an undersized centre-half back because he, he said, you know, obviously I, I could attack. He said, well, to play AFL, you've got to learn to defend. So for a year at Centrals, in between um, Alan Stewart and Peter Jonas, he played me a year at centre-half back. And I was playing on these big centre-half forwards. Yeah. And, you know, and it was purely like, I think about it now, and it was, you know, quite quite good of him because I would have... I would have got outmarked a fair bit because I was 17, mm. and but he was willing to sacrifice. I get a couple of goals maybe for the team to teach me, knowing okay this kid's going to play a fair. I want to set him up right. So all those little things mm. you sort of <laughs> when yeah. you're young and and <laughs> selfish and you don't even think about it. You know I think about things now and and Choco's one. You know 10 years. Probably at the end of ten years, he was sick of me, yeah. and I was probably sick of him. But yeah. then you you look back now, and you're like, actually, you know, we're really thankful that you cross paths. Yeah, yeah. you appreciate yeah. through your twenties. I mean, you've just got your head right, right yes. in the clouds. Yeah, you have. And at the at the Swan, so the team didn't finish lower than sixth in from 2010 to 2017, mm. and, and won the premiership in 2012. They must be doing something pretty well up there. Is it? You know, everyone talks about the Swans culture and the Bloods culture, and yeah. being pretty strong on that. And uh, is that right? Is that does I, it exist? I think it's um, just they've all. I mean, I think at a certain period of time there was a a shift under Rusey to the player empowerment model, and then the players in at that time, I think like Shuey Maxfield and and people like that, they they took the club more ownership of the club, I guess, rather than, okay, well, let's leave it to Ruzi. Well, no, we're the 22 that's got the most power, so mm. let's take it where we want to go. And then as people came into the club, it was just clear expectations of what was required. And, and it goes back to the, you know, club people, no self-interest. Um, and I think that's what's been big. You know, guys that they've got in have bought into that. and But to get people to buy in, that's playing group, it's coaches, it's fitness staff everyone's got to be on board and aligned with that to continually sell that message because if there's one little gap in the fence the player will yeah. get through yeah, i find it so always the bit you know there's some really good people like rob spurs who's the fitness coach up there who year in year out just get them cherry ripe and helps sell the message of you know how hard they need to work and um, he's one that you know people wouldn't have heard of, but you know he's a big part in in what they've had up there, and and I think that you know it's people like that that don't get a lot of attention that help. I guess the players get all the attention and coaches, but there's a lot of other people that that do a lot. You know, yeah. Dean Moore was fantastic when I was there as well. So I think that's the that's the culture. It's the people in the building mm. and every day rewarding the right behaviours. Mm. Yeah, much of a difference between Rusey and Horse. As coaches, yeah, a little bit, a little bit of difference there because Rusey was very. One thing I noticed, he he had this ability to, and again, you only really when you reflect on it, but really engage everyone and the whole club and and everyone sort of. He was a bit of a Pied Piper, like everyone would follow and listen to everything. And then Horse's ability, I think, is you know to motivate the key influences is something that 
you know, I really noticed like it worked really closely with the leadership group because they've got the most influence on the rest of the place. So he was, um, in terms of how he spread his, because you can't obviously be everywhere, but he sort of knows who to get to that'll get to that area of the club and who's going to get to there and rather than him trying to be everywhere. Yeah. So I think that was, you know, that was a good skill that I've, I saw in my time there and, um, but then, you know, other guys, John Blakey's been there for forever um, and he was fantastic mentor for me in terms of um, both footy and he's come from obviously had a lot of success. Um, but also as I probably, you know, we had our kids in Sydney, so even yeah. how he mixed footy and family, young kids and, you know, I think he was a bit of a role model in that sense for me as well. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's have another break for a quick little sponsors ad and then we'll come back and talk about the Suns. When you injure yourself, you make an appointment to see a team of doctors, physios and specialists. But why don't we talk to the professionals when it comes to financial advice? A good advisor will help you budget, sort out your super and protect your greatest asset, your ability to earn money. So if you're worrying that it's too late and haven't got things sorted, it's okay. Acting now can make a huge difference and help you reach your financial goals faster. This is where Shadforth Financial Group can help. The AFL Coaches Association has worked with Shadforth since 2015. We think of them as our financial coach. Shadforth is available now for a free discussion about your financial goals. Head to sfg.com.au forward slash AFLCA for more. Has there been any other interest in you as a head coach before the, the son's job came along? Yeah, well, uh, when Rusey went to Melbourne, um, he talked about going with him and, and taking that role. And I was probably three years into my coaching journey. Um, so for me, it was really early. Um, it was an opportunity where Rusey was, was pretty strong that it was, you know, it, it was mine to, to take. You know, obviously you've got to meet the board and, and that yeah. sort of stuff, but um, we just had our daughter. For me, the timing was just not right in that I felt it was early um, and in a weird way. I thought, you know, in my playing career, I sort of juniors and sort of fell into all these places um, and got through on talent. And I thought, oh, it's happening again. I'm sort of, because I know Rusey and because Rusey's getting that, he wants me. I'm like, have I really worked enough for it? Have I learnt enough? Am I ready to do it wholeheartedly? So in the end, I I weighed up that I hadn't. Um, and it's a, it's a brave decision because yeah. senior coaching jobs are pretty hard to get. Yeah. But you, you're young. I was 33. Yeah. And I think our daughter was just, you know, pretty much just about to be born or just born. Mm. I'm trying to remember. Maybe, or maybe six months old. So, you know, I was thinking, gee, you're still adjusting to life mm. um, like that. And my wife had a career as well. So, yeah. and, and at that point was, had a better career than me. Yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, it wasn't as easy as just, oh, well, let's just drop everything and mm. go and do that. Um, you know, she was going really well in her career and we had a young daughter and I did have that, just, it was just a gut feel around I just reckon I need more time. I don't need to rush. Yeah. 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 So then the the job here, um, 
You build a hot field. It's they're, they're hard to get senior coaching jobs. Um, there's always people that are you know really well credentialed, and you know it was a terrific field that you beat. And and then in the end, what do you think it was that led the Suns to appoint you? Um, I'm not sure. You have to ask Mark and Tony, but uh, <laughs> oh, I think I think I was probably at the point. I'd had some conversations with Adelaide at, at different periods around when they had openings um, for different reasons. And I think that solidified... So I think the first... Going to interviews is a good thing because I think you yeah. the first ones you go in, you're tight, you're nervous, you're, you're probably saying things that you think they want to hear. Whereas yeah. I, I felt by the time I got to this the Gold Coast one and... and to be honest, the other ones, you're not sure if you really are ready. Mm. By the time I got to this interview, I, I felt I was ready. I knew what I wanted to do, and I knew I could just be myself. And I went into that interview, or those interviews, really relaxed mm. and thought, well, I'm just going to be natural. And if we fit, well, if you if you think I'm going to fit your club, and if I, you know, I talk about where they see the club, if I felt like I could fit and influence... Um, then I'd be really, really keen to get the job. And I think I had a conversation with Mark Evans and obviously he, he talked a lot about the club and, and from that point I walked away and I thought, no, nah, this would be a fantastic challenge. Um, you know, a, <laughs> the biggest challenge, yeah. but I felt like that's what I needed. Yeah. I needed that challenge and, and that'd be great to, to motivate and, but you know, how good it would be to get this club going. Um, you know, that's the carrot, really. Yeah. But I got to that interview, just, I guess, I, that feeling of had done a couple mm. unsure. I guess I was really sure of myself and maybe quite natural. Mm. Yeah. When you first got the job, what, what did the first week or two weeks look like for you, Stuart? <laughs> you, had, oh. you know, you, I, I know that there, were, there was a lot of talk around the place and a lot of players wanting to leave and a lot of going on. So what did it look like for you? Well, there was uncertainty, I guess, given... So I'd done one round of interviews and then I knew the second round, if I got there, was going to be in a certain time. So um, it was... My wife and I actually, we, we went to Noosa around that time. And I thought, well, if I get to the second round, I can just drive down, do the interview and go back. So... We were actually that that eventuated, so I came yeah. down, did the second interview, and I drove back. And then Mark's like, "Well, we'll let you know in twenty four hours." And I'm thinking, "Yeah, I've heard that before." <laughs> um, but they, they obviously can't tell you at the time. Um, and then we happened to be sitting at lunch, and sort of twenty four hours had ticked over. Yeah, and I said, "Oh, <laughs> you done. know, no drama." Like, um, we'll move on. And then and then the phone rang and I got, and he said what are you doing, and I said oh we're just at lunch you know and he said oh any chance you can drive back to Gold Coast for a five o'clock meeting and I, and I was like yeah right it didn't click yeah. he said because you know we want you to be the coach and yeah. meet the board so got back in the car <laughs> drove down and and met the board and uh, and all that and then then it was basically okay go back. Couple more days in Noosa where your head's just spinning, yeah. and then, mm. um, then it was on. Yeah, it was basically just on a plane every. Um, I went Monday to Friday or Saturday morning, and up until Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Because was your is your wife, your wife's in um, TV? 
Is yeah, that right? or was. And yeah, she so was she in still Sydney. had a job in Sydney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that period, yeah. <laughs> that was um, where yeah we laugh about, but it was really it was hard for us because we had I just had to go straight mm. away. It's not like I say I'll see you in a month. Yeah, um, and then she was continuing to work, and we had son and daughter at that point. So we obviously had good support in Sydney and. The babysitting fees were quite high for <laughs> for three months there, um, but then, you know, go back on weekends and see them, and then drive down, try and get and come back, and so it was it was just a blur to be honest. Yeah, and and then combine add that to your first year in the job, first ten games away, Commonwealth <laughs> Games here in the Gold Coast. You went to China. Um, you're still married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's good because no, no, that, would, that would test the relationship pretty strongly, I reckon. Oh, um, and so just dealing with that itself yeah. as a new coach, like it's hard enough being a senior coach first time anyway. Yeah. If you're travelling four times or five times, you're coaching a big club, it, it's a little bit smoother. This is not smooth for you. No, it wasn't. And then I think, um, well, for starters, um, yeah, you wouldn't be able to do any of this without you know great support at home. So my mm. wife's... Yeah, held the joint, held the place together yeah. for that period, particularly because you you didn't really unpack. You know, you got your dirty <laughs> clothes out of your bag, and whatever you didn't use, you just left in there for the next week. It was just like, yeah, um, plug and play for a while. Um, but in the end, I, I felt like, well, you're the leader of the club now. If you give off any inch of this is hard or poor us, um, I felt like that's gonna spread. So. Uh, one thing I'm really proud of the footy club was how we dealt with that. Yeah. Um, and I think everyone had the right attitude. And yeah. I didn't hear, I just didn't hear one person winch mm. that whole time because there was no, I mean, there was no point. What no. could we do? It's not like we could just kick them off the Metricon yeah. and play there if we made yeah. enough noise. So yeah. you, just, I think you just get on with it. Yeah, and you made the point as the leader. You're the leader and everyone expects you to lead and to show the example. And, and if you're... You know, it woe is me. Yeah. Well, everyone else is going to have the same feeling. So it, it, it would have been challenging, though. It would have been really hard for your playing group because yeah. you spent two weeks in Perth as well, didn't you? Yeah, physically, yeah. Um, we didn't train as much as we could have yeah. because the first thought, and John Haynes and I, you know, it was great for us, you know, in a selfish way because yeah. we got to see everyone under stress, under um, different environment, but more time with people and particularly staff. And uh, I think... Yeah, we were able to find out things a lot quicker because mm. we spent so much time together. And so it was, yeah. <laughs> it, well, think about it now. And, um, yeah, the, the mental stuff was what I was worried about. I thought if we, if they mentally get to the edge, physically is going to follow. So we, mm. we we went a bit lighter because of all the travel and, and the, you know, we gave a lot of days off in and there. And, and that probably, that would have hurt us towards the back end of the year. But, I think to get through that period without any real hiccups was yeah. was significant. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it must have been. And there was a you lost some some players, some good leaders around the place, and you know I guess that that would have had a big impact on on you. And um, how did how did you deal with it? And what was the message back to everyone around your footy club about that? Yeah, I think um, we're pretty transparent around. We were taking our time to make decisions. We didn't want to come in and and make any rash decisions and then we wanted to make informed decisions and then there was a few things it was there was a playing list and then there was um staff and obviously our tpp 
like our salary cap. So um, Craig Cameron was new. So we, I guess us three, along with Mark and the board, made the decision that you know we needed to break the cycle. Um, you know, a couple of ins and outs here and there weren't gonna weren't gonna cut it. So you know, we did a real. Um, I guess the list decision was was part capability and but also some decisions we had to clean up our salary cap believe it or not um you know that was one of the alarming things at the start so we could either try and fix it over three years or have a crack at fixing it in one year to give us a chance to start start again in that sense Mm. um so we probably went as aggressive as what we could um and i think you know we were pretty transparent about that and then um, I guess it was finding some some other people to come into the club, mm. and you've got terrific support staff. I know your, your coaching group are really strong and very loyal and very good. They're, they've been really strong and supportive, and you've got uh, some new ones in at the end of uh, last year. Yeah. So, and and what's sort of what's their role, and how do they help you, and how much do you delegate to them? Yeah, it's a, I think we've got five new ones, um, or four full time, one part time. Um, so I think it was, you know, we're still finding our synergy as we sit here today because that's significant as well. So I think we had 14 or 15 players turnover, 14 or 15 staff, and in that was, was four or five coaches. So, you know, their their roles are pretty defined, but then, you know, I think I'd like to think I'll give reasonable autonomy in, in their areas, um, probably on the back of, getting that at Sydney. I found the more the more responsibility you have, the more you get to actually be yourself, um, work out what works, what has influence. So I try not to well, I certainly don't sit at the back of the room and and dominate from there. Um, when the time comes you're out the front and leading. Um, but also I'd like to think I give the staff really good trust. Um, I'm certainly trust first and Otherwise, you know, how long is a piece of string to you say, well, you've got to earn my trust. They're sort of, they're sort of on the back foot anyway mm-hmm. in that sense. So I guess I like to trust the guys first that they, they are doing their job, do the work and, and support the players. Mm. It's a terrific start to the season. Um, really good. And it's just got a bit tight for you lately. Um, how, how, how do you deal with that personally? And I know you spoke about leadership and no yeah. woe is me, but it, it, it's a difficult job and... You're in a stressful situation and position, and how do you deal with it and make sure that you're getting the right message to your players so as they're up and about and yeah. and maintaining the level of enthusiasm all the time? I guess that's where we, as a club, and like, yes, I'm I'm a leader and influential, but you're relying on a lot of people to to keep the mood and motivation high. Um, working closely with our our leadership group, but particularly our two captains who have been. You know, unbelievable this year for the playing group, and I think a lot of credit has to go to them in terms of maintaining the motivation and the mood. Um, but I think it's, you know, if we sat here today and we were three or four wins spread out across the year, it'd look a lot different. But I think the fact that three came really early, um, and the one, you know, the St Kilda game, thirty-one points up, they're the ones you want to close out, and that mm. just gives enough. I don't know the word nourishment for the group to go well yeah okay there's another one and but we've had periods where we've you know we won two quarters against west coast over there um you know i think two quarters against geelong so some of these top teams we've been able to 
compete for periods, mm. but um, we haven't been able to sustain. And, and I, I think that's we've got to keep finding the little wins. And, and you know, Fags is a bit good for me, just in a sense. We don't catch up all that often, but mm. when we do, just little, you know, his challenge at Brisbane early days was yeah, the win loss just isn't enough. Like mm. half the comp would be depressed if you're just on win loss. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like yeah. There's about, at the moment, there's four or five teams that win most weeks. The rest are almost 50-50. So um, it wouldn't be much fun if you just looked at one thing. Now, we know at the end of the day, that's your measurement. But different clubs are in, in different stages. So yeah. that's the constant balance of um, the, what's our expectation and then where's reality and, and somewhere in between. So we're, because that's our job, to try and build belief Um whilst we know at different times externally it's going to be so narrow as to win-loss. Yeah. And the brotherhood's pretty tight amongst the senior coaches. Uh, have you touched base with Shorey? Because you spent some time with the Swans with him. I was just on the phone to Shorey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh I, um, yeah, he's a riffer, Shorey. So, yeah. um, oh, that's funny because when, when that was happening, I happened to, I'd text Shorey and I was like, Geez, you, you could be a chance. And um, he's like, he, I think he texts back, yeah, maybe. You know, like, he it's sort of out of the blue for him. I think yeah. he caught everyone off guard, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Shorey's, um, well, I love the way Shorey goes about it. So I'm yeah. I'm really happy for him, except yeah. when they beat us. Yeah, no, I had to go to dinner idea. with him that night. So yeah, that wouldn't have been good. Nah. Um, life on the Gold Coast, off field, your wife settled. Kids are settled. Um, yeah. What do you do to keep yourself uh, busy and get that balance? I've heard that you've tried to get down to Quicksilver and see my mate Greg Healy down there to get a surfboard and see how you go, but you haven't been able to master that on led to belief? No, I, I've, yeah. Well, pre-kids, my wife and I had started to surf in Sydney and we had friends that lived in Bali. We went there once, so certainly not Kelly Slater, but... Um, <laughs> Then we had kids and we were both working, so it's really it was difficult having no family in Sydney. So that hobby sort of came and went. And then I've been a couple of times here, Hutchie, but it's a little bit the same. You become busy. We're really settled here. We love it. Um, you know, I've sort of lived in South Australia, Victoria, New South Wales, now Queensland. It's it's a fantastic spot, um, and the climate lends itself to, I guess, just outdoor activities. And logistically, there's so many places within an hour or so you know you can go to Byron or Noosa or Stradbroke like there's so many things you can do as you know a family so the kids love it um one's settled at school so there's a bit of a community there and and that's um that takes up a lot of you know like by the time you work and then just general um I guess things around the place and then school people and club people so it's pretty it's busy. Yeah. Time goes pretty quick. Busy man. Yeah. But that's you know, it's it's good. The kids love coming here. Um, you know, they come to most of the games and and they, they really enjoy it. It's a great stadium for kids in that there's space. It's not okay, once you're in it's like there's a seat. Like there's there's mm. green space here and for kids it's as everyone would know, there's got kids like yeah. my the kids are young, so it's um it's good. So and, and it's easy getting around. Like yeah. I when I first moved here, you know, you'd organise a dinner with a player and you'd get there half an hour early because you're used to Sydney where you have to allow... You, it's 10 minutes away, but it could be half an hour. So I found myself sitting at the front of restaurants, got the park out the front, like the George Costanza Park, thinking, 
how good is that? I've got to park. Because Sydney, you might, you know, you drive around for 10 minutes. But I'm at the restaurant half an hour early thinking, geez, I left it. I left a bit early. I got here in five minutes and there's a park at the front. Uh, Stewie, it's been great having a chat with you, mate. Is there anything that uh, we, we would like to know about you that people mightn't know about you? Uh, You're a pretty open book, I reckon. Yeah, I don't... Well, I'm not hiding anything, so... Um, <laughs> I don't think... I don't think there is, Hutchie. Sure. Um, there's not a lot. I don't... I used to play golf a long, long time ago. Um, I still haven't worked out if I'm left, right, or I play right with a left-hand grip. Okay. That's a yeah. bit... Yeah, I do get a few... It, well, I haven't played for yeah. eight years, but I remember when I was younger, because I think I, I was left-hand cricket. I played a lot of cricket when I was younger. Mm. I was left hand, but Dad was a right hand golfer, so I think I just picked up the golf club that way, and that's how I learned. Yeah, okay. yeah. Not not the best, not ideal, not conducive to <laughs> to a good handicap. But then I tried left hand, but then I found I'm just hitting it over mid on. So cricketer playing golf. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm definitely a cricketer playing yeah. golf. Well, Stuart, it's been a pleasure, and, and thank you very much on behalf of the AFL Coaches Association for your time this morning. It's been enlightening. Hope you've enjoyed it, and all the best for the rest of the season. Thanks, Archie. Appreciate that.